we have to acknowledge that grief is the biggest problem that we have right now. Unresolved grief, inability to grieve well, is a huge problem, not just for individuals, but as a culture. I'm absolutely convinced that one of the reasons that we are in the mess we are politically in, in, the, in the UK and in, the, in America is that we did not grieve culturally very well. We've been unable to let go of the, of the past and people have mythologized past, like make America great again. Like there was this, some mythical period in the past where, where it was all great and everything was happy and everything was, everyone was rich and everyone was, and everything was good, you know, and, and, and that, you know, because people haven't grieved the fact that we live in a different world now, that times have changed and circumstances have changed, and maybe they haven't grieved things in their own life that have gone, people can play on that and manipulate that. Hello there, friends. How are you doing? Welcome to episode... I don't know what episode this is. 120-something. I don't know. Yeah, I can't keep up anymore. How is everybody? How has your March treated you? It's been a crazy March, has it not? On all of the levels. It's um, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? So today I I spoke with James Prescott. Now he has a podcast that we don't really talk much about, but it's beautiful. It's called the Poema Podcast, and you'll see that linked in the show notes. But if you like kind of what he's saying here and the the tempo and, and the intentionality with James's words, I would really recommend after the show, click down there, definitely listen to what he's doing. It's really good. So here's what you can expect. So we talk a bit about trauma and the church. We get into politics, but more importantly, we get into an understanding that your view and my view have equal weight and we have to learn how to listen to each other and respect one another and find safe places and learn how to create and help foster those safe places. And so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation I had with James on a bright and early, like 5.30 in the morning because of the time difference uh, on a Saturday. So here we go, James Prescott. James Prescott, thanks for, uh, it's like six in the morning in the States and that way we can do this. So James, I appreciate you coming on and um meeting me early in early in my morning in middle of the day for you but but happy saturday to you and i appreciate you being here yeah it's great to be here thank you for inviting me it's a real privilege to be on be on this show yeah well i don't know if it's a privilege but i i appreciate you coming so (laughs) (laughs) it is this is a great podcast there is going to be it's one of my favorite questions that i ask um a while back, I feel like it's been November. So we've been working on this for like three, four months because everybody's yeah. busy and um, we keep having to reschedule and um, yeah. and whatnot. But a while back you had said, you know, Hey, I'd like to talk to some people about some things going on in my life and, and just some of my experiences and what I've learned. Anybody interested? And I can't remember if I volunteered myself or if someone else said you should talk with me. I feel like it was that someone else volunteered but it doesn't doesn't really matter um i'm glad that we finally made it happen i want you if you could for those listening to kind of go 
you know, hey, you may or may not know me, but here's who I am and here's what I want you to know about me. And then we can kind of dive into some of the topics of the day. Okay, well, um, I'm James, James, James Prescott. I do a lot of writing and I host a podcast called The Poem Podcast, which is poem with an A on the end. Uh, I've been doing that for about five years, which is scary to think of, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm up to nearly 200 episodes now. Hmm. But, uh, uh, I live in London, in the United Kingdom, which is why I have a British accent. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and yeah, we talk about, on that podcast, we talk about a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. We talk about, talk about the spiritual journey. We talk about creativity. We talk about trauma and grief and over and mental health and all that kind of thing we'll talk about lots of different things i have a lot of guests on and we didn't listen to their stories and we talk about their stories and uh yeah so i guess that's a little bit about me i love movies i you know i'm a bit of a movie buff um i also like love reading <laughs> and uh yeah i mean that's kind of a the kind of me in a nutshell but uh, my story is obviously a bit a bit more um mm-hmm. bit longer so yeah <laughs> but i mean like I, I in terms of i think we talked about talking about trauma and grief and things and uh when i was growing up i uh i had a major childhood trauma because my my mother had an asthma attack when i was eight years old um which people which the doctors thought she would not live um, and that uh, you know that she was going to die because mm. in a coma she was on a ventilator. They uh, didn't think she would recover. Uh, she did. She did. She came out of the coma, um, but there was a cost to that, which was her losing her short-term memory, and that really affected everything uh, in terms of my dad's relationship with her. You know, um, the potential for what the life we could have had, the life that she could have had. Um, there was an element of grieving there of the of that in terms of what could have been and what wasn't, and um, what what you know some, something did die that day, um, although my mother didn't die, and that was really the beginning of um, the childhood trauma. Really, that was because that had consequences um, because my mother, who who was a very independent woman, wanted to work, wanted to have her own life. Could no longer could no longer work, even though she was still able to live a day to day life. She couldn't work because her memory wasn't um, short term memory didn't work properly, hmm. and that that was very depressing for her because that was part of who she was, and she found it very difficult to come to terms with that as anybody would, uh, and ended up becoming an alcoholic, and that affected my parents' marriage. Um, I was getting bullied at school as a teenager, but nothing ever got done. I would come home from school. My parents would be fighting. I would be breaking up their fights. So my kind of needs got neglected as a child. Mm. Even though I know my parents loved me and I knew that they cared about me and I knew that they were not bad parents, in, a, in they, they didn't set out to be bad parents. Um, they were just human beings who were imperfect and had... And they've gone through a major trauma, all, all of them. So, um, you know, my mother had lost her part of who she was. My dad had had to grieve the loss of uh, the woman that he married, in a sense, part of 
the woman that he married and also having to carry the whole family emotionally and financially um, as well uh, with two little children. So there was a, there was a big toll on both of them. Mm. And that was really, that the consequence was, was my teenage years where I got neglected and where I was kind of breaking up fights and where there was fighting a lot for about five years. Um, all this time I was in the church. Um, I was in a Methodist church. Just uh, my only outlet really was was prayer. Um, mm. And even then I didn't really ask for anything. I just told God what was happening because I had needed somebody to talk to. So, yeah, that was kind of my up till when I was 18. Then I went to university um, and things were a lot better. But um, a couple of years after I finished university, my mother passed away. She had another asthma attack. Um, and by this time, she had got into recovery and her parents had split up and they were getting on a lot better and things were a lot pos more positive. Things were a lot more healthy. Um, so everyone was in a really good place. But obviously then she passed away. So that's a whole big thing as well, because I was 23 years old when my mother, my mother passed away, which is not normal for 23 years old to lose a parent. So, yeah, obviously I went through a lot of grief mm. and uh, had a lot of anger for a long time. And eventually I did get counselling for that. Yeah. But... Um, the biggest one of the one of the biggest impacts of grief for me was 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 that the God I had been brought up with was not no longer big enough for me. Um, it was no longer big enough for what I had been through, um, and I had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts and a lot of things I needed answered, and that kind of led me to out of out of kind of a more conservative church to a kind of more liberal progressive Christianity, I guess. Yeah, uh, and I started to discover liturgies and meditations and um, things like uh, Lectio Divina and all of those kind of things, which were really really beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, but I think what ultimately happened is that I found another form of certainty, because mm -hmm. certainty is certainty is kind of the structure that we build around our pain. It's, a, it's, it's what we do to numb the pain instead of dealing with it. And we all, always talk about addictions like, you know, the you know, alcohol or drugs or, you know, overeating and all those kind of things that we do to numb the pain. But religious certainty is, was another, is another way, is another addiction essentially that we use to numb the pain. And although I was in a much more progressive kind of, of Christianity, um, I, uh, much more open, much more, you know, liberal, um underneath the surface it was another form of certainty yeah because i knew i knew inside of me there was still stuff i hadn't resolved yeah i, I could i just knew intuitively that there was something i hadn't dealt with that it was still there um even though my life got actually got pretty good by then it was i was you know i was working and i had had a home and i had a uh, i was part of a church and i was part of a home group and everything seemed pretty steady but i knew there was something that was not still not right and i had a lot of anger i used to shout at god quite a lot i used to tell god i hated him i was like well, why does this happen why did this happen this isn't right you how could you just have sat there and watched all this 
happen to me and do all this damage to me if you love me you know um and i would yeah i would yeah. i was i would get triggered um sometimes and then i would lash out at god and tell him i hated him and that yeah that all he did was sit and enjoy my suffering and that's yeah. all he cared about and i really felt that i think i really felt that um under the surface because i wasn't giving any space to deal with this stuff i was just i was just burying it around under the structure of the life that i built with well, the, the you know the steady job the the church the, the sort of certainty of fundamentalist christianity yeah uh, can i um, um, let me ask a question on that so you talked about the god that you you know you you, you came up with that you grew up with in the methodist church so I, one of the things that I always am wondering about is, does the way that we do, and you talked about fundamentalism here in the States, does that look the same in, in you know, in London or in the UK? And then as well, you talked about, you know, pivoting to like a liberal, a liberal progressive type of faith. Does that also look the same as what we do here in the States? Because I think ours is so commingled with our politics. And you know what I mean? Like, so do those look the same or what are some of the differences you think? It's certainly not mingled with politics in the same way um there's a big distinction between church and state it's quite a secular culture over here mm -hmm. more than america i think um you know issues like abortion and, and that which which are huge issues in america um, politically and also tied into faith um you know because more conservative faith is they aren't they aren't such issues here that that's not a we don't ask politicians what they think about abortion generally, hmm. you know, um, that does, that rarely comes up if ever, um, you know, I couldn't tell you what, what different political leaders all believe about abortion, you know, because nobody asked them because people don't aren't that concerned. I think because it's more of a sec, it's a more secular culture here than it is in America, but there are elements of, 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 of conservative Christianity here. There's elements of progressive Christianity here, which are similar in terms of theology, I suppose, um it's not i i haven't i haven't experienced the most extremes of conservative christianity that i see in america hmm. um but that doesn't mean they don't exist um right it doesn't mean they don't exist i mean yeah it is it's complicated really like i mean what i what i see here is that there is this there's still this fundamentalist kind of way of believing whether it's conservative whether you're conservative or progressive you, there's it doesn't seem to matter and there's still a, there's still this kind of this is in america as well like like what i've learned on my journey is that you that, that it's 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 as important if not more important how you hold your beliefs how you believe than what you believe mm. and what i mean by that is that you can you can be a conservative, but if if you if you are willing to listen to other people's stories, if you are willing to admit that you're wrong, if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to change, if you're willing to understand and hold disagreements with other people in tension, then that's a much healthier place to be than somebody who is maybe progressive in their theology, but will not listen to anybody else's story, will not listen to anybody else's opinion, will make blanket statements about them, maybe judge them, maybe condemn them, um, and not, not, not listen. Yeah. Because that person's never going to grow. They're going to stay where they are, um, the person who holds their beliefs tightly. 
so it's really and it's dangerous because you I've, I've seen it i see it on social media that there's there are a lot of progressive fundamentalists and there are conservative fundamentalists and there are also progressives and, and conservatives who are not fundamentalists at all and are willing to listen and willing to have conversations and willing to uh, learn from each other and willing to hold their disagreements in tension hmm. and people like that are much healthier and they grow much more and they have a deep i think i think they have a deeper spirituality and because they understand that it's not it's not all kind of which what richard war calls like um dualistic thinking like mm-hmm. the you know dualistic thinking is is like in out either or you know whereas what he talks about as a healthy spirituality is both and you know, when you're willing to listen to each other, when you're willing to hear each other's stories, when you're willing to learn from each other, when you're when when it's not in out or either or where everything belongs, um, yeah. and you know that's that's where I've kind of shifted to um, as a result of like coming out of this 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 period that I was in because I had all this pain that I was that I knew that was there, and when I finally chose to confront it, and in confronting it, you. So you you talked about you talked about God feeling too small. Is that because of the way that the I guess the Methodist church that you were at, like there was just no space for you to have those feelings or emotions towards God or towards your mom or towards yourself or or what was that? I felt like well the God that I was brought up with, I my perception of it anyway, whether this was actually actually what they were saying to me, I don't know. But the the perception I got was that God was distant. You don't question God. Um, like you go by Jesus to God. Um, you do the you believe the right things and do the right things, or you're going to hell. Although that's never that was never overtly said, um, but it was implied, and uh, that He's in control of everything, and that yeah, that's it. You know, and and when I, I and then I went to university and I had a although it was a Methodist church, it was a much more evangelical kind of church it was around the time of the toronto blessing in the 90s so there was a lot of that happening a lot of falling over and you know people speaking in tongues and and being in the spirit and you know waving hands everywhere was kind of just happening and i was a student at the time so i got caught up in that a little bit and that was again a god of like yeah although I think I was closer to God then. That God was 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 closer to me and wasn't so distant. But nevertheless, when my mother died, it was like, well, I've got questions for you, and I don't understand what's going on. And this isn't what I've been brought up with, and what I've experienced so far isn't enough. Hmm. It doesn't it doesn't deliver like all that waving his hand in the air thing, and speaking in tongues and stuff. Yeah, that's all great, but it doesn't deal it doesn't deal with my pain. It doesn't reconcile with what I've been through. It doesn't, you know, that, that's all, you know, that's all very well and good, but it does, but it's not. But you don't get my, you don't get my um, subservient, undivided worship just for being God anymore. You know, there's, I, you know, I have questions for you, and I want to engage in those questions. And for five years after my mother died, I didn't really do that. I, I buried it all because I thought, well, I can't do this. I can't have these questions. I can't say, I can't think what I'm thinking. I can't express this publicly because people will start saying they have concerns and they'll start have questions about my faith and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and, and then I read Velvet Elvis. Hmm. <laughs> Rob Bell does it again. And uh, that book changed my life, literally. 
it was like, oh, I can have all these questions and still have a relationship with God and still know Jesus. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was like water in the desert. You know, it was like, oh, at last, like solidarity. And that's when I found that new church community where, which helped, which helped me with all of these things and was engaging with all of these things at the time um, and was that space I, I needed. Mm. That church kind of evolved. Five or six years later, it was the same leadership, but it was almost a different church completely. It, it kind of, for me, it started to become more of an evangelical church, more mm. of a, more kind of, more certainty, more, fun, kind of more, a bit more fundamentalist. Um, there were issues with LGBTQ stuff because I I thought they were an inclusive church and they, they appeared to be for a long time. And they said that they were. And then um, an LGBTQ couple in our church were not allowed to lead a home group. Hmm. And I was like, okay, I can't, this is, I can't, I can't, I can't accept this. This is not, you know, that's when I really started to think, well, I might be, I need to, maybe I need to leave. Yeah. You know, and it was actually three, four years before I did leave, but, but that's when that seed was planted. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'm not going to be here as long as I thought I was going to be here. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and I stayed, I stayed to start with because I thought, well, I've got to try and hold our disagreements in tension. I've got to be the bigger person here. I can't, I've got to not try and create more division. Like, cause I, you know, that's, um, uh, that's where I was then. But then over time it was like, well, I've got loads of LGBTQ friends. And if I'm staying here, I'm, I'm condoning this behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that I agree with it. I'm saying it's okay. And I don't think it's okay. And, you know, the LGBTQ should be leading. They should be as involved as anybody else in the leadership of the church. There's no reason not to. Um, and so, yeah, that was one of the, that was another big driving reason mm -hmm. for me to leave. The other reason was just that I kind of started to feel trapped. And it was like wearing a straight jacket. And the only time I realized this was physically was when I went to my new community for the first time. And I was in between. I was doing I was doing two at the same time because I was trying different things out. And I went to this new community, which is now my spiritual community, and I physically felt myself breathe out in church for the first time for years. I mean, like just like exhale, like just sigh of relief, like okay. Yeah, and it was involuntary. It just like, and I felt it. It's like, oh, it's like oh, I haven't felt like this in church for ages. Just mm. be me. I can just be where I am, and it's okay. Um, and I went back to the other church the next week, and I physically felt bound up, almost in a straitjacket. Couldn't say what. Couldn't say what I thought. Couldn't. Couldn't sit in the. Couldn't even go into the service. To be honest, I, the last year I was there, I couldn't even go into a service. I couldn't listen to the sermons. I couldn't. I couldn't sing the songs. It was too painful. Uh, and I couldn't say what I really felt. I couldn't be me there. Um, and uh, I found this new place, which was a contemplative community, which allowed for different theologies, different perspectives, different stories. Uh, didn't prescribe anything it wasn't was very bottom up um and had about 20 people um very small no bands 
um, very inclusive theology, very just generally inclusive. And where I did a lot of contemplation, a lot of silence, um, a lot of meditation, a lot of Teze, but still had kind of the Eucharist, which I loved um, as well. And it was like, oh, this is home, you know. And so I've been there ever since, you know. Can I, um, if you're comfortable, so the the people that listen to this show, like the UK is, I don't know, third or fourth biggest people that listen to this show of, you know, tens of thousands of people a month. Do you mind saying what that what that church community is in case there's someone listening that's like, you know, I actually do live close by the area and I haven't found a place that I feel comfortable in that will listen to me and just let me, just let me be and let me sit in the presence. What is that? If you're comfortable with that. It's, no, no, it's fine. Um, it's called Moot. M-O-O-T? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's based in central London. Um, we meet every Sunday evening uh, about 6.30. And it's it's just a really small community. And it's, yeah, very contemplative, yeah. very inclusive. We have agape meals once a month where everyone brings some food and we, and then we have a reflection and then we discuss it. You know, and it's like there's no wrong answers. You can all, we all have our own different perspectives and stories, and that's fine. Um, no judgment whatsoever. And it's just a really safe space. Mm-hmm. I'm really supportive, uh, whatever you're going through. It's just a really lovely community, you know, I'm really supportive. And yeah, um, I'd recommend it. And there are, there are those space, these kind of spaces if you look for them. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't want it to become too big because uh, <laughs> I like it kind of. It Never mind, I'll edit it out. I'll edit it out. <laughs> it's kind of very specific. I mean, we meet in an Anglican church building, but we're not, and officially we're an Anglican community, but we're not really in mm-hmm. how we express our spiritual journey, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it's yeah, it's just beautiful. Good. Um, you know, I really do. And it doesn't make, I don't have to be like a Christian to go there and then there's no kind of label like i don't like to use the label christian really anymore i, I use my i was saying this to someone the other day that i have a jesus-centered spirituality um mm-hmm. you know and yeah. which encompasses a lot of different things so yeah. and it's weird because my relationship with jesus now is is better than my relationship with god still yeah. and i'm going back to my trauma i'm coming back from out of my trauma one of the things that happened during that process, because I started seeing a spiritual director and a mindset coach and things, which all really helped. And my spiritual director was also trained as a therapist. So that was really, really helpful. But we talked about Judas and when he betrays Jesus. And I forget which gospel it's in, but Jesus says to Judas, friend, do what you came here to do. Uh, he doesn't call him enemy, he doesn't call him traitor, he doesn't call him Satan or whatever. He just calls him friend. Like He forgives him almost. He loves him, uh, even though knowing what he's going to do. Yeah. And um, I thought back to all those times that I'd shouted at, shouted at God and said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Um, I meant it. And uh, when, I, when, I, when somebody read that passage to me and 
in that in that context, and I was like, oh, like mm. whenever I all those times I was shouting at God, Jesus was there, like saying, James, just do what you came here to do. Mm. Yeah, like if you need to shout at me, if you need to say you hate me, do it, do it, just yeah. do it. I can take it. I'm still going to be here. I still love you. I'm still your friend. I forgive you. It's okay. It's all okay. Yeah. Uh, and um, that was a really powerful moment for me that I could just let it go and it was okay. So if you were to sit down and you've got like, say the leaders of, you know, 10, 15 different congregations or church across London, you know, and they're all like, James, we realize as a church body worldwide that grief, doubts, and trauma are literally destroying the church. I actually said something on Twitter the other day uh, and oh. Facebook about certainty as well, saying, you know, certainty is going to destroy the church if if we let it, um, which yeah. ended up getting fairly um, a lot of traction. Um, most of it was people being passive aggressive, like, are you certain about this? And I'm like, I think you're missing the point. But no, I'm not certain about this. You jerk. Don't take my words and twist them, but whatever. Um, and uh, if you had them all with you, and you're like, you know, we need to talk about grief and trauma and anger. Here's what needs to change. Not necessarily in the church that you're at now, but realistically, here's what we all need from you. Um, because I don't really struggle with grief and doubt. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed enough that so far I haven't had to deal with a lot of death and a lot of that as a person, you know, or, or a lot of things that cause that kind of trauma or doubt or grief. I mean, I've had my own issues, but it's not, it's not that. So what would you say to congregational leadership of all different walks that are in front of you? And you're like, here's what we need to do. Here's, we just need to name this problem. And here's four or five things that we should try, regardless of whether or not you're Catholic, Protestant, Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, fill in whatever denomination you want to. Wow. <laughs> I think the first thing is we need to learn to listen to each other. Like, we need to actually just say, like, everyone's stories matter. I want to hear your story. I want to listen to your story. So that we're not always fighting with each other. You know, that, that, that's... We can, and then just say, okay, we can believe different things, but we can still we can still get on and we can still have relationship and we can still love other people and we can still engage in community even if we dis disagree on things hmm. i think that's really important i actually i think uh, i think as well in terms of like grief and we have to acknowledge that grief is the biggest problem that we have right now unresolved grief inability to grieve well is a huge problem not just for individuals but as a culture i'm absolutely convinced that one of the reasons that we are in the mess we are politically in in the in the uk and in, the, in america is that we did not grieve culturally very well we've been unable to let go of the of the past and people have mythologized past like make america great again like there was this some mythical period in the past where hmm. where it was all great and everything was happy and everything was everyone was rich and everyone was and everything was good you know and and 
and that you know because people haven't grieved the fact that we live in a different world now that times have changed and circumstances have changed and maybe they haven't grieved things in their own life that have gone people can play on that and manipulate that and church leaders can do that as well i mean that's another thing as well like which you know we we, we have to learn how to grieve well we have to acknowledge that we all carry grief around with us like whether it's whether it's a the loss of a relationship or the end or we, we lose a job or, or a pet dies or you know it can be anything like something that's coming to an end a, a season of our life that's coming to an end maybe our children are going to school for the first time and we have to leave them at school and we've had them with us for, for a few years and we don't want to do that and it's painful to just let them go but we know we have to do it um for their own for their own good and their own growth that's a that's a grieving you know it we have to learn how to sit in our grief and actually like i would i would say to churches don't build structures around people's pain actually engage with it you know and have create support networks churches should be a support network for people who are trying to deal with their pain not a, not a structure which allows them to avoid it you know, like somebody told, I've heard this many times that Alcoholics Anonymous is what church should be because you go there and you tell your story and you tell the truth and you don't hold anything back. And there's no BS. One of the signs on the door is no BS. And, and you're just accepted and loved and welcomed as you are. And you're allowed to process your pain. You're allowed to process whatever you're carrying and be accepted anyway. And that's what church should be. It should be a safe space where you can just be you without any judgment or fear or condemnation or anyone prescribing anything to you or like people saying that, oh, God can fix everything or you believe the right things and suddenly you'll be okay. That's just another way of building a structure around pain so that we don't have to deal with it. And what I would say to churches is Jesus did not do this thing that you're doing. Jesus actually felt his pain. He allowed himself to get tortured and beaten up and humiliated and go to this physical and emotional trauma and when he was offered vinegar to numb the pain he did he refused it he knew that it was important to feel the pain because that's the only way that you can defeat it like what we need to do is to build structures into our pain that allow us that allow us to go into our pain and come out of it without it having the power to control us because we will never there's no happy ever after like we need to let go of this idea of a happy ever after and i've said this on twitter before as well like we're like as christians it's, it's almost like oh believe the right things do the right things and then um you can be free of all these all this stuff and go and live your life and it'll all be okay then once you've dealt with it and it doesn't work like that that's not what life is because what i discovered on my journey as i've dealt with my grief and my trauma is that there are layers to it like i've dealt with the principle raw pain of my grief and my trauma and i've left that behind and i've now got free of it and i'm now able to go in, in and out of it without it controlling me but there are, but as you grow and as you go into different layers of consciousness you discover new layers to this to these to these wounds like i'm discovering things about what grief and trauma did to me that i that i wouldn't have done if i hadn't been willing to go there in the first place and get healing for the for the original wound because it because it goes so deep and i'm realizing oh i've got abandonment issues i've got trust issues i've got issues with 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 trusting god like and it's all because of of, of this 
grief and trauma. But I wouldn't have realized that if I hadn't done the work in the first place. So we have to like we have to be aware that this is a process and it's not about a destination, it's about the journey. Like and it, you know, there will be ups and downs, there'll be moments of joy, there'll be moments of happiness. There'll be seasons where things are good, but there will also be seasons where it's not good and where it's painful and where it's difficult. And we all know that life is like that anyway. You know, there's always ups and downs in life. You know, we will all lose somebody. We will all end up, we will all have a relationship that ends or we will lose, we will lose a parent or we will all have to grieve in some way. We will all go through pain. It's part of being human. And, and that's what I love about Jesus is because he modeled this. Like somebody said this to me and it really helped me connect with Jesus. Uh, is that Jesus, Jesus was an outcast as a child even in his own family, part of his own family. And he couldn't marry because of that, when all the people at his own age were doing that. And then he lost a parent. And then he went through betrayal and extreme emotional and physical trauma. You know, and when I heard that, I was like, no, that, I, I've had almost all of that happen to me. That's exactly my story. And when I, when I realized that, I connected with Jesus in a way that I'd never connected with him before. Hmm. And, discovered a deeper intimacy with him and also he became more divine to me in his humanity you know the more the more i see jesus full humanity the more i see his divinity in a way um you know i don't see the the, the miracles and all of those kind of things that's not where i see the divine in jesus it's, it's in his it's in his raw humanity like in his solidarity and that example and the example that he gives us of like don't avoid the pain don't build don't build things around the pain don't hide from it confront it because then you can be free uh you know and that that's that's kind of what i would say i guess it's not i, I don't not really good at five step plans or anything like that well let me ask you another question with the churches that you've been engaged with and you talk with as, as many people as I do, you know, doing a podcast yourself, do you really feel like, I agree with you, I think that we need to find space to listen to each other. I think I was on a podcast one time, and that's literally what I said, you know, if I could snap my fingers like the God, you know, Thanos kind of button, um, they would. It, that's what I said, I was like, I wish we could just hear each other, like just actually hear what each other's, not what we said, but what we meant, like just hear each other. And um, yeah, so I totally agree with that. But if... I found myself wondering while you were speaking if every church that could do that actually literally did that. Do you feel like the leadership staff in each church, like I don't think pastors are trained to actually deal with trauma. I think pastors no, are not. trained to sell the church. I don't think they're trained to sit with people, if that makes sense. So I, like I wonder it. what kind of damage it would do if we actually did what we're supposed to do. Damage in... I guess a good and a bad way. I don't know. I think, yeah, but this is where church leaders need to actually own that and say, look, look, I'm not a professional. I'm not a mental health professional. Churches need to be supporting people to get the professional help that they need. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the role of to me, the role of spiritual community is to be a support network, like a, a structure, like a um, a healthy structure, um, which allows you to again to go into that place and come out of it and not be alone um and it not control you and um, it, mm-hmm. you know and the church is not the church are not mental health professionals <laughs> you know um i'm very passionate about 
getting access to mental health professionals for everybody rather than based on ability to pay. Mm-hmm. I think it's wrong that you sh- it shouldn't be just the rich that are able to go and get a therapist. Um, in fact, yeah, I mean, it should be everyone should be able to have access to a therapist um, and counselling and all those kind of things. And the, what the church needs to do is to build build relationships with those people so that you can actually say okay we have some we have a few people we know a few people who we could refer you to who are professionals and we will provide support when you're seeing them like we will be here for you we will we will we will we will pray for you we will be a we will be accountable you can talk to us about what's going on you can we can we can we can love you we can be there for you as you go as you walk through this yeah Uh, that is what spiritual community should do um, because the church should not try and be a mental health professional. Um, I actually talked to somebody from my on my podcast who is actually providing a, kind of a network of uh, mental health professionals to support churches um, because they see this need. And you know, and it's un- and it's unfair on pastors as well to ask them to be mental health right. professionals. Right. That's not their job um you know pastors have a role but it's not it's not to do that you know um you know you unless they're actually trained mental health professionals themselves which is very rare yeah Um, and also it's too much for one person to take on for a whole community as well yeah yeah i agree uh, and it's and prayer groups and all that kind of thing one-to-one prayer that could be really helpful as well but you do need professionals as well you can't deal with mental health just by praying for somebody. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think you need professionals who know what they're talking about. Who can get to the root of this stuff without the, without the kind of all the boundaries of, you know, religion and church. So you can go anywhere where people are free to talk about whatever they want and deal, deal with these, deal with these problems. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a cough. Uh, you day, almost, you almost made it. <laughs> it's it's winter in the UK, so um, I've got a so I've got a typical kind of man flu kind of cough. It's winter here as well, but it's been so mild. I actually bought a snowblower a few years ago, and I've yet to be able to use it. It still has the bindings on it. I just crank it up every few, every month or so, just to keep the engine working. But yeah, yeah. we haven't had a, a thick snow for a long time, so yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, so I would yeah, I mean, churches need to start doing that. Yeah, you know, and oh. I'm and I'm, I don't I don't I don't feel like I belong into what what is called church anymore, the establishment of the institution of church, but I know plenty of people who benefit from it. Um, and there are good churches out there as well who don't who aren't kind of doing this fundamentalist in out kind of way of believing. We just have to look for them, but. Like we need to, and we need to, and churches need to let go of this in out. My way is the only way. Yeah. My belief system is the only belief system. My theology is the only theology. Um, and concurrently, kind of silencing or dismissing or ignoring anyone who disagrees with them. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and we see this play out politically as well, especially in America, because what happened is Barack Obama won. So. Aggressive fundamentalists thought, oh, we've won. We've won the argument. Therefore, all conservatives have to shut up and listen to us now. We're in charge. We won. Um, so we won the cultural war. 
So just listen to us. We 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 have all the answers. And this alienated a lot of people who felt that their voices weren't being heard just because they disagreed a little bit with the progressive movement. Um, and they weren't bad people, they just disagreed. So Trump comes along and he speaks to these people and says, I'm listening to you. I'm paying attention to you. Um, I will meet your needs. This is what I'm going to do. Um, but even though they didn't like him, some of them voted for him anyway, because at least he was listening to them. And this is what happens when you get into kind of a dualistic in out kind of way of believing in that you end up alienating good people. Like, because there are good people who believe things different to you. You know, when Donald Trump got elected, I made a point of asking my friends who had voted for him why they voted for him, because I wanted to understand. And when I heard their 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 stories, it was like, oh, right, that makes sense. I don't agree with what you did. I don't agree with your with your views, but I get why you voted for him because you were concerned about your job, you're concerned about your healthcare, you're concerned about your children, you're concerned about that real like food getting food on the table and those are legitimate concerns and if people feel like somebody is paying more attention to them then they're going to vote for them and like people yeah and that's understandable it's not they weren't racist or like sexist or misogynist or whatever just because they voted for trump they had their own stories and reasons um and the the the, the key to beating trump is to actually start listening to those people and, and try and acknowledge what their concerns are and start saying, okay, okay, I'm I'm willing to listen without compromising on your values or your or your politics. You know, it's so that is that I mean I'm getting that's that's a little bit of politics. Yeah. yeah I do that's politics right. free actually. So I so I do talk about politics a little bit, but but it but it but applies but it applies in, in terms of in, in the church as well because we have to start listening to people who disagree with us theologically. We have to, you know, people from different backgrounds and different stories. We have to start listening to each other. We don't, have, and listening to each other doesn't mean we agree. It doesn't mean we condone. It doesn't mean we accept what they believe. It doesn't mean that um, we, we, yeah, it doesn't mean that we have to become the same as them. It doesn't mean that. It just means that we're willing to listen and have a grown-up conversation, yeah. uh, and that's that's healthy, you know. And yeah. maybe then we might they might shift towards where we are a little bit more, and maybe we we could learn from them as well. Yeah, maybe we you both know? shift. Yeah, yeah, both learn. That's why we both shift, you know, and it, and you become healthier that way, and it's less angry and less divisive and less childish, to be honest. You yeah. know, it, um, yeah. Last question, James. Last question. It's it's become my question of the year, and I'm loving it every single time. So, um, okay. and you're actually so I, I I'm going to blame it on the earliness of the morning. I usually give people a warning at the beginning of the show what I'm going to ask them as the last question. Um, I didn't do that to you, so it's unfair to you. I apologize. Um, so, because uh, it's I feel like it's a bigger question than the question is. Um, so when you as James Prescott say. Hey, person across the table from me. Hey, person listening to the show. When I say the word God, or when I think about the divine, or when I, when I'm trying to explain what God is to me, what is that to you? Like, how do you try to explain the divine? What words are you able to give to that? Wow. <laughs> Should have given you a warning. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the divine to me is. 
love, inclusion, all around us, whether we look for him or her. Um, and and this, one, this isn't one word, but no, it doesn't have to be one word. It's fine. I mean, I my relationship with God is an honest, open one where which is not subservient where we wrestle with things where i talk to him her about everything and i'm honest and if i've got questions or i'm angry or i don't understand something uh, i will just say that and it's not with a bitterness or a rage or anything like that it's just honest wrestling like i still love you and i still acknowledge you exist i still acknowledge you are love and i acknowledge that you are everywhere i i look for you uh, i can find you and that somehow you are orchestrating some of this stuff that's going on in my life but i still have questions and i still want want to know some answers and i still don't understand a few things and i'm still angry with you sometimes and it's just it's like a grown-up relationship you know where it's not like oh you're you're right about everything and i'm just gonna bow before you and just accept whatever you say it's more I acknowledge who you are and I love who you are at your best. And I just, but I have all these things I want to wrestle with and I want to work through with you. Like it's like a real kind of grown up relationship. And that's where I can get on board with God. You know, um, that's, that's kind of where I, yeah. where I, where I, where I meet with God. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's a much healthier place for me, I think. And because I can't do the kind of whole subservient, like God is above everything. God is, um, I should just not question him and I should not. And he's just, he's just always has always, always has all the answers and everything that I, I can't deal with that going to God at the moment anyway. Yeah. No, so, I like that. Uh, Thank you for yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. I should have, I apologize. I should have warned you ahead of time. I should have warned you ahead of time. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, it was actually good to be, good to be out of the blue because I didn't have time to think about it. I had to just go with what I was, my, my instinct. Yeah. Sorry, my, my intuition. yeah. It's been, it's been really fun to listen to people's answers and it's, yeah, it's been really fun. Where would you send people to James as they're listening to this and they're like, all right, so he's got a podcast called Poema. Um, what, where would you point people to if they wanted to, you know, hear more from you, read more from you, you know, reach out to you, whatever they want to do. Like, where would well, you send people? Um, I'm on social media, um, Twitter and Instagram, especially um, at James Prescott 77. And I do interact with people and I do have conversations and I do say hi. So do you come and say hi? Um, I have a Facebook group for my podcast, which is called Poema Podcast, continuing the conversation. And so in there, I post quotes from the podcast and we have discussions and we talk about what's, what's happening in the podcast and um, I'm trying to build a little community there of listeners and things. So I would come and yeah, come and join that. That's on Facebook. Obviously, Poma Podcast has a Facebook page, and um, I have a writer page as well, James Prescott Writer. Um, I have a my website is jamesprescott.co.uk. Um, I'm also I'm also on Medium, and and obviously there's the podcast as well, which is the Poma Podcast which is anywhere you get podcasts. Um, just look for a podcast. It'll have my name on it. Um, um, yeah, uh, it'll be part of my podcast. It'll have James Prescott somewhere there as well. Um, um, so, 
yeah, um, I would really love to connect with all of you and hear from your listeners and stuff. It's uh, sounds good. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, thank you again for your Saturday morning. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation, and I genuinely think certainty, trauma, grief, doubt, they're all so commingled. Um, yeah, and I meant what absolutely. I said a few days ago on the internet. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna kill the church if we can't get that above anything else. I think just, just turns yeah. people off. So, thank you so much for coming on. Um, You're welcome. Anytime. This show is completely supported 197% by the patrons. It is an honor and a privilege to not have to do any advertisements on the show. And so I would ask you to support the show. Rate and review. It's easy, it's simple, and it's free. But also click the button, become a Patreon supporter of the show. There is a lot going on there. I'm trying to add more things to there, but... Look forward to meeting you there. Consider it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you are so very blessed and you know that you're beloved. We'll talk next week.